0: Obadiah is mostly poetry, um, like a lot of what is written in prophets. Um, and I say that to say we're not meant to read poetry in the same way that we read prose. Um, it's maybe not quite as straightforward. It's meant to be poetic or, or artistic. Um, not to mention these are visions that these prophets are having. And so I'm not going to try, we do not the time, and nor do I have the understanding to try to draw out kind of a one-to-one connection of everything that we're reading in Obadiah, and what exactly does that mean, but instead I'm going to try to give the, the essence of what it seems like is going on, and some of that may mean I just kind of gloss over something and don't touch it, and you're welcome to ask, and I may or may not have a meaningful answer. If I don't know, I'm going to say I don't know. Um, but... Um, I think we can benefit from understanding the, certainly the essence of what's happening in this vision. And I'll tell you guys this, the, the book of Obadiah is making me, after studying it the last several days, is making me repent. Mm. Um, in fact, I have probably three or four, at least three, phone calls or meetups that I need to have um, this week that I, I really wanted to do yesterday or today. and. Um, haven't done it yet, but uh, that I, I kind of search my own heart and, and feel like these are the things that, that I need to do in response to kind of an understanding of um, what this prophet Obadiah is really getting at, or what God's getting at through him. Maybe you will too. We'll see. Um, Obadiah. There's lots of Obadiahs actually in the Bible. I don't know which one exactly this is, um, but this is a prophet. And most likely he's prophesying shortly after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586, 587 BC. So we've, we've talked about that. Sorry if, you're, if you don't remember the history to that point, but the, the people of God have been overtaken in Samaria and Jerusalem and the surrounding cities, and they have been, sent out into exile, which is what happens when you overtake a nation, uh, especially in the old times. You repopulate it with your own people or people from other nations, and you take the people that live there and you move them to other places. So it kind of loses its identity and it's no threat anymore. Um, So probably this Obadiah was writing at the time just after the fall of Jerusalem, or sometime in there. Um, The subject of the prophecy is, unlike most of the other books of the prophets, it's not primarily the subject of the people of Israel, but it's the subject of a foreign nation called Edom. Um, so there's, I think, just one other prophet that's primarily talking about a foreign, another foreign nation, which I believe I'm going to teach about next week, which is Jonah, uh, which is, is kind of a word to the Ninevites, right? Not Israel, per se. Um, so that's a little bit unique about Obadiah. Edom is, if you watch the video, it was super helpful. It's like, it's south, I'll try to use your, if you're looking at a map, it's southeast of, like, Jerusalem, okay? Uh, just another nation down there. It's also called in scripture, um, Seir, Seir, the mountains of Seir, I don't know how to pronounce you know? it, how do you usually hear it pronounced, Seir? I, I always say Seir, but that's just, anyway. Um, S e i r. Um, it's uh, it's in this book Edom is also called um, Esau talk about that in a minute or the mountain of Esau mountains of Esau Edom as as just a, a location is, is an area that's kind of surrounded and filled with cliffs and giant rocks and kind of jagged mountains and, and tall cliffs and the people would live um, in cities that were kind of protected and surrounded by and have these fortresses of these mountains um, around them or even on top of this mountain with these sheer cliffs coming down the side. So they're not very accessible, generally, these cities. Um, so think, uh, think like the Shire, um, but kind of jaggedy rocks and not green. OK? Isn't it where what's green? <laughs> Um, no, I don't saying think saying it's, it's Masada. I think yeah. it's it's Petra. If you've been to, to right, Jordan. Petra is, um, but no different yeah. than different than Masada. But I, I, from the pictures I've seen, I've been to. I've to been Petra to Masada, either.
1: and that sounds like a. a it looks describing. it looks the
0: same. Yeah, Masada is like this straight up kind of thing with a city. It. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I, from my understanding of Edom and, and this area, it's that's kind of like it. What, like it would have been? There's these cities atop a hill. Or has anybody been to, to Petra? Um, this so is this yeah. a city. You know Indiana Jones, yeah. know, yeah. the last Crusade, where there's yeah. the big like building built into the rock. Oh yeah, that's Petra. Petra. Um, you you can that, that's just an example. I think that may have been the, like the capital of Edom. That to get to that area, that that city inside those cliffs, you have to go through this like ravine mm-hmm. that's like two cliffs, and there's this little passageway through them that's like 10 to 30 feet apart in order to like get into the city. So for an army to attack, it's almost impossible. I mean, you just wait. If you're the, the dwellers of the city, you just wait, and you just have to kill people within about 15 feet here, and you're going to be good. Um, so it's a really fortified, just hard to kind of get to place, and a lot of the cities have kind of similar advantages as far as safety goes. It's very difficult to attack these places. Um, Edom had, for as long as its existence, had been at odds with Israel. Where did that start? Did you all catch it in the video, or do you know? Jacob and Esau. What's that? Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. So Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and Esau, whose name was changed to Edom. That's where the Israelites and the Edomites come Mm -hmm. from. And they've been at each other for a long time. They had been, They're not anymore. they're like brother nations, kind of, but not brother in a real loving way. Um, so, when the Edomites, hundreds of years after Jacob and Esau, would like remember these, their their father Esau and their uncle great 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 uncle Jacob, um, what what would they remember about that, the story of those two brothers? Likely, what do you guys? remember Jacob. The
1: birthright being stolen.
0: Yeah, right. so Jacob kind of steals or just kind of kicks Esau when he's down and hungry and, 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 and trades him for his birthright, which is I don't know what all, except it's at least a double inheritance and and kind of cheats him out of that. And then what, what else in that story happens? He's
1: just wrestling an angel.
0: Yeah, Jacob wrestles an angel. Yeah, but he,
1: he, he gets his um, um, the firstborn... Um, the blessing, the right? Blessing,
0: yeah. yeah. So you remember the whole story. I won't go into it. But basically, Jacob deceives his father, and he gets the blessing that actually yeah. technically his belonged brothers. to Esau. Jesus. So you can imagine... Um, well, I'll, I'll read the, the blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob instead of Esau. He says, May God give you the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine which happened in the promised land, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. And then Esau, who was supposed to get that, gets really a curse almost of, you shall serve your brother, says in Genesis 27. So Edom, the nation that descended from Esau, You can imagine, I'm I'm just imagining this, but you you can understand them having a sense of bitterness towards Israel, whose father was Jacob and was involved in all of this deception. Um, And those descendants went on, as it says in Ezekiel, to have a perpetual enmity with each other, constantly against each other. And thanks to my... um, One of my seminary profs, he gave a quick outline of this, just some history. Um, You remember Esau threatens to kill Jacob, just to show their enmity. When Israel is headed to the Promised Land at first, Edom refuses. They're one of the countries to refuse to let Israel pass kind of through their land. They're like, nope, you can't do it. We're going to attack you if you do. Um, Saul fights against Edom in 1 Samuel 14. David subjugated Edom in 2 Samuel 8 amaziah conquers edom and captures selah which i think might be petra um, anyway in second kings edom rebels against judah in second chronicles and then a big event that happens which i mentioned earlier in, and we won't be all history here but 586 bc jerusalem takes over or sieges and, and destroys okay. i'm sorry babylon destroys okay. jerusalem and In the meantime, the Edomites are just waiting along there for such a thing to happen and begin to rejoice and begin to plunder Jerusalem and the surrounding cities in Judah along with Babylon. Their time has come. Edom was though it was this really like great place to live for safety. It wasn't like some major world force like Babylon or Syria or Egypt. So it's kind of small. But when the Babylonians, finally, the big boy comes in to take out Jerusalem, Edom's like, "Yes, this is our time. We'll finally get to take this guy out too, and they plunder those cities as well. And we're going to talk about that um, today. But anyway, there's this, there's this tension between the Edomites, the Israelites that we see throughout Scripture and other places. And so you can imagine after centuries of kind of fighting for power and in many ways the Edomites serving the Israelites, Edom wants to see Israel brought down and they're thinking Israel, Israel got what we deserve. And now we have a chance to take that back. Um, Israel is kind of an archetypal enemy of, I'm sorry, Edom of Israel, and kind of even represents, we see a little bit in this book, maybe other nations that are at odds with Israel, or um, the video pointed out, I don't wouldn't hold too much weight in this, but how the Hebrew letters in Edom are actually the same Hebrew letters as Adam, and so maybe it's a little bit kind of representative even of humanity in, in general. Um, but that's Edom, Okay. We're going to read through this book, and the first nine verses are kind of a section talking about what's going to happen to Edom. Their destruction is coming. We're going to find out. Verses 10 through 14, we're going to find out specifically what was Edom's kind of crimes against Judah, which we've talked about a little bit. And then the end, the last seven verses, talk more about the day of the Lord and the restoration of oppressed Israel. Verse 1. <clears throat> the vision of Obadiah Thus says the Lord God Concerning Edom And I love that's how it begins God is not only the God over Israel But he's, he's The God always has been over all nations Though some are deceived And not serving him We have heard a report from the Lord And a messenger has been sent Among the nations Rise up, let us rise against her Edom for battle So just like Edom kind of jumped on the bandwagon and joined with the Babylonians in demolishing Judah, it sounds like now multiple nations are going to be called together to demolish Edom. Verse 2, Behold, I will make you, Edom, small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. So we're starting to get a picture of this prophecy saying, here's what's going to happen to Edom. What's really interesting, this just maybe is my own little interesting thing to think about. I don't know if you all will dig it, dig thinking about it as much as I do. But um, in our English reading of the second verse here, it's hard to get the, to understand the verb tense of like, I will make you small among the nations, you shall be utterly despised. Um, If you look at the ESV footnote, if you've got that, at least mine said, or it might be, behold, I have made you small among the nations. You are utterly despised. It's like, is it past tense, or is it something that he will do? Um, The tense is sometimes called the prophetic perfect tense, which when this is used, it's hard to distinguish between I have done this and I will do this. If you think about it, when God determines something will happen in the future, it's kind of like to him something that has already happened. So God has planned, past tense, something to happen in the future. That blows my mind. I, I love that kind of stuff. Time travel and whatever. You know, that if you know me. Um, but anyway, it means both. God, God has determined what will happen already, and it will happen. He will bring this to happen to um, Edom. Verse 3, the pride, that's kind of a key word of the night, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Don't say that. Who will bring me down to the ground? Um... It's like Edom's living in a way that's saying nothing can happen to mm-hmm. me. And it's this statement of pride. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I've ever heard somebody say that, but you can get that sense from people, at yes, least. Um, mm-hmm. People think that their life is indestructible. Um, there's a lot of famous men in our society that maybe have thought this before until some women have been speaking up, and the, and the men are realizing, oh, I'm not indestructible. The Titanic. Um, what's
1: that? The
0: Titanic. Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. the Titanic. guy, the um, guy um, that not even
1: God could. Oh yeah, yeah, like that's, a ship that's right.
0: and then it sunk. Oops. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, so it's something that uh, I mean. He even says here it's it's in the heart, the, the pride of your heart, or you say in your heart. So even if it's not verbalized, we get this this attitude, this sense of the attitude. of, who will bring me down to the ground? Verse 4, though you soar aloft like the eagle, remember there, a lot of them are living up in the heights, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So he kind of answers their probably rhetorical question that they're asking, who will bring you down to the ground? And God answers, I will bring you down. In your mind, you're as, as high as you can be and untouchable as you can be, but from there I will bring you down.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: that's um, what what pride does to us right like in prideful people like to I could say we because I'm included in that as well at times we like to insulate ourselves and we build ourselves up and deceive ourselves into thinking that we can keep ourselves from harm if I set my life up this way then I won't be able to be harmed or attacked or other people will look up to me and they'll think that I'm great we we feel insulated. And the Lord says, I can bring that down. And to Edom is saying, I will bring that down. And we'll see that in a little bit. Verse five. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? So most people, when they come in and ransack a city, they just they take whatever they can carry away or whatever looks good to them, but they leave maybe some things here or there because they can't, they can't take it or nor do they want to take it all with them. But verse 6, how Esau has been pillaged. He's, I believe he's seeing ahead here. How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. He's saying everything will be taken from Esau. That's just a metonym for the Edomites. And treasures... Um, I think the New American Standard says hidden treasures. It's this kind of idea that everything will, be, everything will be taken away. Even the stuff that you've hidden away, maybe buried in the ground or in the corners of these cliffs and whatever. It's all going to be taken away. Uh, it's going to be pillaged out of Esau or Edom. Verse 7, all your allies have driven you to your border. Your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread, or I think like your friends, have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. So another thing that happens, I think, in our pride is that we, um, or, or people will make, what Edom has done is they've made alliances with other great nations, specifically Babylon, and I think others as well. And that's, That's the thing, that's what prideful people do. Prideful people, they ally themselves to advantage themselves, to build themselves up. And here it's saying, but they will turn against you, those people that you have allied yourself with. Those at peace with you have deceived you. You've been deceived into thinking one, like we saw your position of strength up on the hills and whatever is untouchable, and no one can take you down. But God will, and you've been deceived, secondly, that these alliances that you thought that you had with these people are eventually going to fail you. If you're a contestant on Survivor, like you you like to make the alliances, and they work out, and they get you to the next round, and the next round, but what eventually happens with those alliances... Yeah, fall, but somebody. The name of the game is you, you want to be the last survivor, right? So somebody at some point is going to break the alliance and turn against you, and that's kind of the type of thing that's happened. Um, people will turn on you, Edom, and this is all just part of um, part of what Obadiah is seeing in this vision. Um, And he says, if you don't think that these people will turn on you, you have no understanding. Like, you have this cognitive disconnect of the reality of worldly alliances and how they just kind of fall apart. You make friends with people who are helpful to you, like prideful people, but they aren't really friends. They're playing the same game that you're playing. self-preservation. And don't be deceived in that. That's the entertainment industry, right? Like, Mm -hmm. hey, let's make friends and you feel like you're a good buddy-buddy and whatever, but really, what a lot of times, maybe not always, but what a lot of times happens is you're making friends and eventually one of the other people, you're, you're just trying to get, work your way up and eventually you stab somebody in the back, right, to, to get to where you want to be instead of that other person. Maybe that's happened before, I don't know. Um, all right, verse 8. Will I not on that day, this coming day of destruction of Edom, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of Mount Esau. Just another synonym or metonym, I guess, is the word for the Edomites. And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, which is just one of the main cities in Edom, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. So Edom You think to yourself, I can outsmart other people with these alliances, I can outmuscle other people, but that will let you down in a future day. So here's the the promise of God to Edom. Every man from Mount Esau, or these people of Edom, will be cut off by slaughter. Every man. We'll come back to that. Verse 10. Uh, This is kind of now moving into... Not just what's going to happen to Edom, but what, um, what were their crimes against God's people in Judah. Verse 10, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, remember what I described as they come in and kind of tear down Jerusalem and those cities after Babylon's worked them down to smithereens. Because of the violence done, shame shall cover you. And if you think about it, there's not much more shameful than like moving in and looting um, somebody who's just been attacked by somebody else. And you come in and you just kind of pick up all the pieces that you want after that. Um, It's like vultures that come in, right? This lion Babylon attacks Jerusalem. And then Edom, the vultures, come in and just tear up the rest of it. Um, They kind of stood back. Like I said, they needed Babylon to come in and do that, because that's probably not something that the Edomites could have accomplished accomplished on their own, taking over Israel. Uh, because of this, shame shall cover you. And listen, the end of verse 10, you shall be cut off forever. So there's that promise again to Edom of being cut off, and this time notice it says forever. You shall be cut off forever. Verse 11, on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his Judah's wealth, the Babylonians, they carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. When you watch others that you're in conflict with get plundered and you stand back kind of aloof to it, you are like the plunderers, it says. Mm -hmm. Verse 12, but do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Here's another aspect that happens in prideful people, prideful nations. You're happy when someone else goes down, when your competition goes down prideful people celebrate the when their competition is brought low, right? That's what the Edomites did. But he's telling them, don't rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Psalm 137, verse 7, describes the heart of, and what the Edomites were saying in the day of Jerusalem's destruction. It says, they were saying, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundation. They were rejoicing at the ruin of Judah. I remind you again of what maybe was coming to their mind of Jacob and Esau and how they had felt like, man, at the beginning of our history, um, Jacob got what was due to Esau and how that probably carried down through the centuries and these people, Israel, have what we deserve. So now, finally, we have a chance to take it back, take back what's ours. And in fact, the emotion was so strong, it says in verse 14, that they would stand at the crossroads to cut off the fugitives so the people that are fleeing from the attack on the cities of Judah, the Edomites are there ready to grab them up and kill them and take them out as they're, as they're running away as refugees. Edom's ready to pounce. Um, verse 11 through 14, I just want to read as a unit here real quick. and um, it, There's a repetition of a few things. The main thing I want to point out is the repetition of the day. I think, that, again, it's poetic kind of language, and there's a Kind of rhetorical device being used in the repetition of the day and i want you to see it um including the lord's response to that in verse 15 so verse 11 on the day that you stood aloof on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for jerusalem you were like one of them but do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune do not rejoice over the people of judah in the day of their ruin do not boast in the day of distress do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress don't do these things in that day don't let your pride get the best of you in that day verse 15 for the, day of the Lord. A future day is near upon all nations. And listen, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds Mm -hmm. shall return on your own head. You, Edom, will receive the very same things that you were giving out.
1: Wow.
0: -hmm. Verse 16. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually, they shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. The American Standard says it will become as if they will become as if they've never existed. Um, seems that you can go a couple different ways of interpretation on this. One option is that all nations will eventually drink from the cup of God's wrath. Um, until they die, which drinking from the cup of God's wrath is something we saw in Isaiah, and I think it's some other places in the prophets as well. Um, Or it could be just like you, Edom, have taken advantage of or are drinking from, have drunk from Mount Zion, Jerusalem, all the nations will drink of one another one nation will quench its pride at the cost of another and then another nation will drink in pride of another nation and over and over again until they've all drunk of each other and destroyed one another or you could say that god's wrath and his judgment will be executed by one nation upon another we've already seen some of that in the old testament And it's this hopeless kind of cycle of pride and clawing up and getting above the next person that ends in destruction it's like god has built self-destruction into this cycle of the pride of the nations trying to be at the top and you will eventually drink each other down to nothing maybe is a way to understand that and that's it it seems like that's how pride kind of works like i will push you down and somebody else will push me down, and maybe eventually you'll push them down. And it's this game that you just you can't win. And ultimately, God is using that to bring judgment on one another. His judgment. So we see verse 17, the first... Okay, this has been heavy. We see this first kind of contrast with hope. There's a little bit of hope that we can see in the book here. Verse 17, but in Mount Zion, which, by the way, is is... In Jerusalem in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions so here's another promise there is a people who will be sometime around the day of the Lord true uh, owners of their own possessions not stolen goods um, They will rise above the prideful nations. We'll see in a little bit. And it won't be those people who have insulated themselves and made the right alliances and celebrated the takedown of other people. So there's this little glimmer of hope of a people who will rise above. And then I I think these final verses... are are talking about a a time still yet, a future reality, even for us. Like this is not historically something that's gone down yet, but a future reality. Verse 18, the house of Jacob, that's Israel-ish, shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph, um, kind of Jacob's prized son, um, is a flame. So this remnant of God's people are like a fire. And listen, the house of Esau, stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. Israel or Judah consuming Esau. For the Lord has spoken, it says. This just a, a kind of glimpse into the future. And then there's this kind of confusing section in verses 19 and 20. Um, I'll make a couple quick observations. And then if you want to geek out on the Hebrew translation that's difficult here or the historical geography and come back to us and tell us what you think, then it'd be great. Um, verse 19, those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shep- Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites, as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Seraphad shall possess the cities of the Negeb just a couple observations there one the list kind of comes full circle mm-hmm. it starts with the Negev and ends with the Negev maybe this is further describing this kind of cycle of judgment how God kind of uses one nation to bring judgment and other nations that jockey for positions in their pride and everything eventually kind of turns back on its head and bites you from behind um, maybe like you might also notice in there that it seems like God's humble kind of remnant of Israel ultimately wins and in a roundabout way Israel destroys Edom so it starts with the Negev the the Negev shall possess Mount Esau or that's Edom and then it ends with Jerusalem possesses the cities of the Negev so it's like if Negev takes the Edomites and Jerusalem takes Negev, then it's kind of like if you're playing chess, Negev takes um, Mount Esau. Or to quote verse 15 again, Edom, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. And then in verse 21, saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Um, saviors can mean, and is translated sometimes as uh, deliverers, or it can be military leaders, maybe like the Israelites had back in the day of the judges. Those are kind of deliverers, saviors. Um, again, this seems to be a kind of a future reality, maybe the millennium. Um, and I can't piece together exactly, you know, like I'm not an expert in this area, but kind of how everything would go down. Um, and even some experts in the area would disagree. But in the end, the kingdom of the Lord is stationed. Mount Zion who will be ruling over Mount Esau and all of the other nations and it's this great reversal of what um, Edom was being prophesied against at this time so there's two kind of mountains that are mentioned in the book of Obadiah if you notice Mount Esau representing Edomites and Mount Zion representing God's people, Israel or Judah. Mount Esau, maybe it represents the nations, maybe it represents humanity, but it certainly kind of gives a detailed explanation of pride. That's what they're being called out for. And those people who climb this mountain, you could say prideful people, Mount Esau, Insulate themselves. They say, Man, I've set up my life, or my life has been set up for me in a way that no one can touch me. I position myself in this high place above others. People look up to me. Nothing can happen to me because I'm safe. Prideful people or Mount Esau ally themselves with others to advantage themselves. My allies, they'll bring me security. With this person on my side, I can kind of get what I want, what I need. I've outsmarted other people, I've outmuscled other people. Even if I don't have the strength that I need to take somebody out, I can use somebody else in order to do that with these allies, Ah, through these allies. And prideful people, or Mount Esau, celebrate when their competition is brought low, happy to see that day when somebody else is overtaken, or I steal from my brother when he's down because I deserve what he has, I kick a man when he's down. Um, take advantage of somebody's weakness if it's good for me. I get the blessing that I deserve and bring it in to myself and I rejoice when they're brought down. So Mount Esau, the mountain of pride, it's tall, it looks impressive. If you see pictures of the area of Edom, even to this day, it's like, man, that looks pretty impressive. It looks more impressive than Mount Zion does right now. What is God's message for those who are resting atop Mount Esau, verse 3, the pride of your heart deceives you. You aren't insulated from the judgment of God on your pride. Your allies will turn on you, maybe as part of the judgment of God. Those whom you have been celebrating being brought low will rule over you. The pride of your heart has deceived you. I think we have something to learn from the book of Odat. Obadiah about pride of the Edomites. But I want to end by pointing out that this prophecy, this uh, vision, it was actually spoken primarily for the benefit of Israel, of God's people. Edom is the subject of the vision, but probably not the main one receiving this message the book is included in our old testament canon or it's included in the hebrew scriptures um, now for hebrews to hear and to Mm -hmm. find hope in Um, it was probably passed along to those who were exiled in foreign lands after being pillaged by babylon and gleaned to shreds by edom and other nations It's being passed around from Obadiah to these people who it seems like their enemies have won. It seems like the prideful nations around them are winning, but God is saying, no, no, no. He's presenting through Obadiah a paradigm that's very, very common in the Bible that God opposes the proud and gives what? Grace. Grace. Grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, pride This rings true for Edom. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Mm -hmm. Proverbs 3, toward the scorners, God is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Matthew 23, whoever exalts himself Will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted Luke 152. God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate Mary says. First Peter 5 and James 4, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So the book The the vision is being given to Israel saying, hold on. It might look like it's their time now, but God will bring justice to the prideful and exaltation to the humble. I think for us, y'all, Obadiah is even more encouraging. And I'll tell you why. Because some of the prophecies that we read about in the book of Obadiah are now history for us. You know what happened with the people of Edom? I'll read it again from my professor. In in the intertestamental period, some things went down. Um, Judas Maccabeus conquered um, Idumea, which is what the Edomites eventually become the Idumeans. Okay? Uh, I don't know why. Um, But they are conquered. Um, John Hercanus, in in this time, forced the Idumeans to adopt Judaism, interestingly. There's still this tension early on in the first century. Herod, who is an Idumean, is seeking to kill Jesus, who is an, an Israelite or a Jew. Antipas, the son of Herod, also an Idumean, kills John the Baptist, a Jew. And then during this, um, there's a Jewish war. I, don't, I wish I knew history better and could describe it to you, but I'll just read it off my sheet. During this Jew, Jewish war in uh, the first half of or AD 66, Edomea, the the descendants of Edomites, they were attacked and devastated by a Jewish military leader, Simon ben Goras, And then in 70 AD, okay, get this, the Edomans somehow are trying along with the Jews to protect Jerusalem, and they basically suffer the same fate as the Jews. They're overtaken. But after 70 AD, this is what I want to tell you guys, after 70 AD, the Edomans or the Edomites, they were never heard of again. In history, like history has no further record of even one Idaman or one Edomite. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwellings, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Verse 8, will I not on that day declare the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that, remember, every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. And there were. What
1: history says about it? There is no history about
0: it? They're wiped out. There's no more known it demands after the time. Now, here's what our application should be. I'm not saying that everybody who bothers you that you feel like is an enemy or competition that that God's going to destroy and wipe uh,
1: out. We're going to wipe them out. Bye. Um,
0: I am telling you, and hoping that we will take courage in. The often repeated theme of scripture, Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Those who gloat, those who rejoice in the destruction of those who are following the Lord, like God sees, God knows, God will make right. And if you're living to make things right yourself and get what's yours now, that's a cycle that will ally you to the rest of the world until you are drunk down to destruction. But trusting the Lord and not in your own insulation, your own allies and celebrations is the only way that you will truly be exalted. That's the other mountain, Mount Zion. In Psalm 125, it says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Will we spend our lives climbing up to live atop Mount Esau or Mount Zion? If you're climbing Mount Esau, you can be assured that eventually it's going to come crumbling down on top of you. If you're climbing Mount Zion, there you find the Lord who brings salvation from Mount Esau and exaltation. And there's no higher place to be, than mount zion where heaven and earth literally meet under king jesus so isaiah 57 15 is encouragement for me and you for thus says the one who is high and lifted up who inhabits eternity whose name is holy he says this i dwell in the high and holy place and also i dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Mount Esau from Mount Zion. Um, let me pray. She's not stealing that baby, by the way. She bought it. <laughs> pray with me, guys? Um, Lord, thank you Uh, That your promises are true and they hold true and we can trust in you? Would you give us the ability to be more like Jesus who entrusted himself to the one who judges justly? You, God, Father. I pray that uh, those areas of our life that need to become humbled uh, would be done so as a Pray that we could receive that as a gentle work of your spirit in our life and um, that we wouldn't that we wouldn't take that to the point of experiencing your discipline to take that down in our lives um, but lord we thank you for the hope that we have in you we thank for thank you for the hope that we have in jesus um, who covers our pride and takes away the the judgment that that deserves. Um, May we look more like him. May we act more like him. May we repent of the pride in our lives. May we never say, who can bring us down? Um, And trust that you are good and you are holy and you are powerful and you will bring down the prideful and you will exalt the lowly. Amen. 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 Can I ask you guys a, a quick question or a couple of questions? So I kind of said, here's, here's what Mount Esau looks like for the Edomites. How, how do we kind of, or our society, we or our society kind of play into that idea? Like, what's our modern version of that ancient phrase, no one can bring me down, who can bring me down? Like, where do we see that? How Financially, sometimes you get built up so high, stardom. You get built up so high that you just feel... That you you're more one with the world. You're invincible if you can if you have enough. Yeah. That's the way we kind of insulate ourselves. Yeah. How else? How do you how do you hear this? I'm not trying to make light of it, but yeah. I mean, just listen to
1: Drake. You know, <laughs> you know no one can stop me. I'm all the way up. Yeah. You know, it's like. I mean, it just comes through in popular culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's an attitude that's praised. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's blossoming down in their cars and thinking they're cool. Yeah. Is Oh my gosh. Okay. What? Kanye calls himself eases. Oh, I can't. Yeah, oh, he's mm-hmm. an interesting one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so is, before, is the correlation supposed to be understood that, like, if you're climbing Mount Esau, you're seeking things like. Fame and glory and money and, and and things that are not that are of this world. And if you're climbing Mount Zion, you're seeking things that are not of this world. You're See, see,
0: I think that that's a that's a um, that's a that's close to what what I think um, Obadiah is, is kind of seeing or teaching. Um, and I think you could probably say much of what you just said other, from other places in Scripture, as, as far as what we are to be seeking. Right. Um, I think the the primary issue in this book is, right. is the is pride and its totally. building ourselves up in a way which maybe seeking after money or fame does yeah. that. Right. Um, but yeah. What, what about like making important like like Edom would do? Ally, they they're allied or connected with other. Nations, like, do you guys see that? Like, man, if I can know the right people, people will think highly of me. Here. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. I think as the, um, don't think you are so powerful that I cannot get to you. Just don't be so prideful and thinking I'm that thinking you always need this powerful person because God will can bring you down to me.
0: Yeah, you, I I think I heard you, Xenia, and I think you're right in some of the right. some of the statements of President Trump. Yeah, it seems like man, it, oh, it it makes us want it. It makes it makes it sound like America is setting itself up as a nation that can't be brought down, which yeah it can. <laughs> um, yeah, what about like rejoicing when the competition is? Is slaughtered or brought down. I mean, do y'all sense any of that in your own life in different ways? I kind of do. Well, yeah. you, don't, you don't want to be happy in somebody else's misfortunes. We get caught up in the emotions of life sometimes, whether we have certain feelings about somebody who emotionally has
1: harmed us in a certain way, or who has uh, made us feel
0: bad. And that's where the word payback comes. I, you know, I, I hope they get what's theirs. I hope they get what's come to them. I think. Yeah. Which was, which was really, uh, it seems like a lot of the issue here, it wasn't, we certainly can have some sort of um, anger against sin, or anger against evil, and, and desire, gosh, so many of the Psalms is a desire for God to come and, and to make things right, kind of in judgment, um, but it seems like, well, that's, that's not our role, our role is to, to leave that judgment to the Lord outside of the church of the nations, and that sort of thing, and... Um, And yeah, for us to... um, I mean, that's where resentment comes from, holding that type of resentment, holding that kind of jealousy and... and, and Yeah, so those that you resent, like, I I can think of people in my own life who I've resented, and I think, well, if that person or if those people, if something bad happened to them, even if they're a brother or sister in Christ or another church then maybe I'd kind of be like, oh, good, well, I'm okay now. That makes me seem a little bit better, because they, I mean, I admit I've, I've felt that before. I don't know if y'all, My I long? No. No. Um, just you. <laughs>
1: yeah. Wow. <laughs> um,
0: I, I would ask you guys just to consider kind of so what, like what, um, what does that, What might be a way to move forward in your life like i said there's there's some and i mean the general sentiment is pride um let's repent of pride i guess uh, and trust the lord and i mean i just think like i said there's there's some people i need to talk to after reading this that i can't teach through this and then not um make things right with some people um i'll just end with first peter two it says If when you do good and suffer for it... I think this would go well to the Israelites. um, Just as much as the first century crowd that 1 Peter's writing to. If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He, Christ... He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. This is our example, it says, when he suffered, he did not threaten. But even Jesus himself continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. So let's, let's repent and, and trust the
1: Lord where we can.